Today's reading is 1 Peter 2, 4-10. It can be found on page 1123 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builder rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? God of grace, thank you for uh, the chance to listen to words that are validating, that come from you. And I pray that in this time, whether we come with great doubt about your view of us, great doubt about whether we can believe the things you say are true, um, or whether we come with great struggle or great faith, whether we're, uh, we feel like things have healed because of your grace or we feel like we're wounded and we don't know if you can heal. Wherever we come from, help us to um, help us to know that we're all in the same boat, and that our lives are more of a mess than we care to admit. And uh, then help us meet us in that mess with your grace, and teach us in this time uh, about the grace that moves towards us through the cross of Christ. Help us to know that's true, to feel like that's true, and to live like lives like that's true. We pray in Christ's name, Amen. So what, is, what does Peter's name mean? Anybody know? Peter? Rock. The rock. The original rock. Um, and he's, he's writing all this stuff about stones, living stones, living rocks, foundation. Uh, verses 5 and then verses 5 and 9 especially get into um, some pretty amazing words of validation. They, they're words spoken to uh, Christians in general. This isn't part of one of the epistles where the writer is speaking targeted just towards an issue. That This is, this is broadening, stepping back and saying this is true of Christians. These words of validation. And this is what he says. In verse 5 he says, uh, you are like living stones. You are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. He says in verse 9 and 10, but you are you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Listen to all this affirmation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You're being built up into a spiritual house. There's this rock-solid validation foundation that Peter is talking about, that the Bible talks about. Um, So the question becomes, how do you get built up like that? How do you have some kind of validation foundation that is that secure, that is that strong, when, as most of us know how it goes, we often find ourselves having a, a validation of ourself that feels like it's propped up with little sticks that some event or some person in our life can come up and just kick them out and the whole thing falls down. Uh, well, of course, we're playing off of something, some things that Oprah said. And in her final episode, 25 years, Oprah Winfrey was on uh, TV every day. And um, in her final episode, she gives this, this uh, finale address. And she says, I've talked to nearly 30,000 people on this show. And all 30,000 had one thing in common. They all wanted validation. If I could reach through this television and sit on your sofa or sit on a stool in your kitchen right now, I would tell you that every single person you will ever meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? And um, so in, or, in preparation of this series, I know it will surprise you, but I, I, I wasn't watching Oprah every day. You know, back when she was on TV, so I did have to go back and, and review some highlight episodes and all this kind, of, this kind of stuff to really understand and get under the surface of what her approach was with people, what her approach was to the bigger questions of ourself and validation. And so she has Steven Spielberg on at one point, and um, he's describing his early validation journey. And how, because of his dad's job, they had to move from town to town. And everywhere he went, he was, uh, he was rejected and not validated and not affirmed because of something he couldn't even change about himself, because he was Jewish. And, um, and he admitted for the first time on, on national TV that when he was a kid, he used to put a piece of tape on his nose and then put it on his forehead, trying to figure out if he could change his appearance you know, <laughs> in the mirror when he was a kid, seeking validation. She had um, Winona Judd on once in the same kind of, you know, first time ever tell all about the kind of stuff going on in her, in her heart and what was going on with her uh, inner self as she wrestled with things like her weight and, um, and her uh, emotions and her diet. And she's talking about this and Winona Judd says that you know, I haven't had an issue. I haven't worried about the things I do. I'm, I know what I do. You know, she's a singer. I know what I do is good. I'm fine with that. I don't wrestle with my accomplishments. The struggle is with who I am. And um, Oprah jumped on that and said, kind of authoritatively into the issue, said, what happens is this. The moment that you get to the place where you can, you can look at yourself and say, I am worthy just because I was born, then all that stuff, all that struggle will go away. And in some ways that desire resonates with all of us. Um, and so if Oprah is right, if we're all on this journey, if we're all seeking, every single one of you <laughs> wants 
validation, is seeking validation in somewhere in life, where do we go to get it? Where are you going to get it? What's your validation foundation? And when you're honest, is it, is it feeling like something propped up with sticks? Or is it feeling like a rock-solid foundation that is there now forever for good? So what Peter does, and what the Bible does over and over again with this issue of how you find your validation spiritually, what the Bible does is it, 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 it draws you out of other validation. You know, we can all kind of resonate. Yeah, seeking validation from others around us. There's got to be a better way because that's fickle. That's like being propped up. And so the Bible draws us out of that, but then it also draws us past what Oprah seemed to be preaching was self-validation. It draws us even out of that into a place of God-validation. That's the rock-solid thing that First Peter is talking about. And in order to see it, let's just look at this in two ways. You've got to look at how, you got to see how, uh, you got to see the limit of self-validation and you've got to see the power of God-validation. First, the limit of self-validation. Oprah said she had this show where she had um, young girls and women um, and she talked about the issue of being battered in relationships. And in the middle of this discussion, um, this was another one of her insights where she said, you know, we love this movie, Jerry Maguire. And you know, this was obviously the movie had just come out. We love the movie, Jerry Maguire. And all of us, we, we see Tom Cruise saying that line, you complete me. And we all go, oh, yeah, that's what I need, someone to come into my life and complete me. And, um, and she said, but we know, again, authoritatively, but we know you have to complete yourself. That's what she said. And you might get this if you go to counseling and you see a therapist. They might say to you at some point in the course of wrestling through your past and your upbringing, they might say to you, you know, you have to get, you have to grow out of where you are because you're in a place where you're just bogged down and brought down by the failings of your parents. And you're just processing that and you're living in that broken place and you've got to move into a place where now you parent yourself. Kind of a similar message. This is the path of self-validation. But it's got limits and the Bible challenges it. But not just the Bible. Recent psychology. So I stumbled on this study uh, on the, the Association of Psychological Science cites this study on their website by psychologists Wood Lee and Perunovich. They found in this study that individuals with low self-esteem actually felt worse about themselves after going through this exercise of repeating positive self-statements. And then they said, this is really fascinating, in a follow-up study, the psychologists allowed the participants to list negative self-thoughts along with positive self-thoughts. They found that paradoxically, the low self-esteem participants' moods fared better when they were allowed to have negative thoughts than when they were asked to focus exclusively on affirmative thoughts. Let's just put it more concretely. There's an article in Psychology Today that quoted Anneli Rufus talking about self-esteem, and she said this, quote that's in your worship guide. At one point I was in a woman's group with a few friends. We'd get together and have these talks about how women are fantastic and can rule the world. One night we took turns chanting our own names loudly. She says, and it made me feel worse. The Bible 
sees past and sees the weakness of self-validation. It sees the weakness. And it does what I think is it frames things more honestly. And so you have amidst this very validating scripture passage, you're the chosen people, you're God's special possessions. And then it says, he called you out of darkness. And then it says, once you were not a people, you were a no one, you're a zero. And then it says, once you had not received mercy. That's another way of saying once you were condemned. Um, that's not a very powerful, self-validating message. You're in darkness. You're, uh, you're a zero. You're condemned. The Bible says basically you don't have enough self to self-validate. If you just have yourself, if that's all, this is the only thing you have when you're trying to find your validation, eventually your, your mind and yourself is going to be honest with yourself and you're going to see that there's not just myself, but there's also selfishness. And when I look at myself, I also see self-righteousness. And when I look long enough and I try to validate myself long enough, eventually I judge my own judgmentalism. Um, writer, teacher, pastor named Wesley Granberg Michelson says this in his book called Leadership from the Inside Out. Despite our responsibility to work towards deep self-awareness, in the Christian tradition, our inner sense of identity and self-definition is not something we can create. But instead, it is a gift to us by the Creator this gift lies at the heart of authentic religious experience and faith. You have to have God validation. Well, let's look briefly then at the power of God validation. In this passage, when you look at 9, this is verse 9, and this is where you see the, the, um, the rock-solid foundation of God validation. Let's just focus, because there's so much in here, and we're just going to keep it short today. Let's just focus on the word special possession. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That word possession, or special, special possession, gets translated different ways. And depending on the context, that Greek word um, can mean a variety of things, can get translated a variety of, variety of ways. It can mean... Uh, something or someone who is obtained. It can mean something or someone who has been saved. It can mean something or someone who is uh, preserved. So if you're a, if the validation the Christian faith gives you is that you are a special possession, do you notice how there's nothing there amidst those, any of those verbs where you inject yourself and attribute any of what has happened to yourself. There's a preserver. There's a savior. There's one who purchases the possession and obtains it. Those are all things that take someone from the outside, that take God. That's the God validation. And so the Bible's always pushing you to stop looking to others around you for your validation. And Oprah would say, yes, yes, stop that. That's where the Bible and Oprah agree. But then the, the Bible would also 
push you through that and say, but also stop just trying to self-validate. You need God validation. Uh, and not just for yourself. See, this is where um, this is where the word priesthood comes in. I don't know if you notice, that's a key word in this passage too, at the beginning and at the end. And when you are reading the Bible, um, the literature of the Bible is amazing in that often this will happen is that there's little clues to the main point. At the beginning and at the end of a section, priesthood, verse 5 and verse 9. How are we a priesthood? Well, priests... Uh, part of the role of the priest is to make some declaration that's that's true about someone. And Oprah gets this too. When she's talking about um, self-esteem and validating people, she says it has worked for this platform. Again, her finale address. It has worked for this platform, and I guarantee you it'll work for yours. Try it with your children, your husband, your wife, your boss, your friends. Validate them. I see you, I hear you, and what you say matters to me. And she's right. There's a, that's the priesthood role that Christians also have and that First Peter 2 is talking about. That we take words, there, there are words, first of all, that are spoken to us that we need to hear. And so in worship, when we're together, that's part of the dynamic of doing some of the same things every week because these words need to just be spoken over our lives and we have them in the service. I spoke them to all of us uh, a few minutes ago. Know that you are forgiven. Know it. It is true. It's a true word. Hear it. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. And we hear it. And we also bring that word out to the world. Um, we are a priesthood. And so we're bringing that same forgiving message, that validating message, out to others. And in, this, in the message of forgiveness, when you boil it all down to that word, it has within it both the absolute grace, perfect grace of God and the mess and brokenness that we all have. Because in order to be forgiven, there's a wrongness that's in you. That's why you need it. So it's an amazingly gracious word, and yet it deals with our honest look at ourself. And the way that all works out in the Bible goes a little bit something like this. Like the only way we can really believe that that message from God is really true and has really happened is because of Jesus. When you become a Christian, you're baptized. That's kind of the entrance rite of the Christian faith that goes all the way back. Jesus was actually baptized. It's kind of strange that why did Jesus have to be baptized? At his baptism, a voice from heaven, the voice of the Father spoke on him and said, this is my son whom I loved, in him I am well pleased. You hear how validating that is? In him I am well pleased. A lot of people grow up wishing a parent would say that to them. Well, when Jesus goes to the cross, he doesn't, see, he's completely valid. He's completely loved by God. He doesn't have to do anything like go to a, have any sort of punishment. He doesn't have to be forgiven. He doesn't have any condemnation. But he goes to the place of being invalid so that we can take his place of being valid. You are my child. In you I am well pleased. Because he goes to the cross and takes your place, now you take his place. And when you're baptized, then that message, right? just how Oprah knows these words are powerful, we speak them over. Now those words are spoken over your life. You, in you I am well pleased because of what my son has done. Your elder brother went in your place. 
And so Christians bring that power. You know, we believe it because of that exchange through Jesus. But then it's not just for you. It's not just for ourselves. It's we take that those forgiving words, those loving words, and we look. We take them out into everywhere we go in this world, and we view everyone, all of God's children, through that lens of forgiveness. The same lens that God looks at us through. We look around at the world, and there's power in those words. They're not cheap. They're not shallow. They're not weak. There's authority behind them. When I just validate you about something, it's kind of, you know, it, it may help you today, but over time, it's not. It doesn't have authority to to value it, to validate you for good. God's words take us take everything of our life into account, all the brokenness, and He still can speak perfect validation. That's what we need to hear. That's what everybody around us needs to hear. Uh, like this woman that. Uh, Mark McNim, a psychologist who writes the book Why Sin Matters, he writes this. I'll close with this. So this is a woman that he met in his church who had recently become a Christian. She described her childhood in a home where self-esteem was the primary virtue. Her parents taught her that she was delightful, talented, good-hearted, intelligent, and witty. Having spent several months with her in a small group, I tended to agree with her parents. But as she talked about her spiritual awakening, she acknowledged that something important was missing from her incubator of childhood self-esteem. Somehow deep down, she always knew that she was not quite as great as her parents thought she was. She knew that there was an intrinsic need for healing, an inner darkness, a moral decay, which was also part of her character. As she ventured into the traps of promiscuity and drugs, she felt like an imposter, as if no one could know her true self or they would stop loving her. What she longed for was authentic awareness of her good and bad qualities and love that was big enough to embrace her regardless of her sin. Self-esteem and positive self-talk could not meet the deepest needs of her heart. A sound theology of sin and grace were her only hope. Let us pray. God, we pray, whether we're looking for validation from the world around us, at work, or parents, or friends, or whether we tend to look to validate ourselves, or whether we maybe do it, if truth be told, we do it through religiosity. We're still trying to validate ourselves through how we live out our Christian life. And it's a tremendous burden to carry. Help us wherever we are to turn to you and to allow the definitive validation that comes from your son to move into the center of our life and to lead us every day to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.